exploring the lives of ordinary Chinese people, sharing stories of impressive personalities. Life up close, presenting real China in real Chinese living. Life up close, where you can find out the latest about the ever-changing Chinese society. I'm your host Sam Duckett in Beijing. In this edition of Life Up Close, we'll first focus on the enthusiasm about traditional Chinese learning and culture among some educators and parents, and associated debates about its pros and cons. And now, it's our, uh, teacher-led education. So, they, uh, related to the compulsory education system, regardless of its content or atmosphere, is different from what we want. Meanwhile, the traditional schools, which are not in the compulsory education system, can provide a purified environment, laying a solid moral foundation for children. Personally speaking, if technology education is separated from other knowledge, other subjects, and compulsory education. If it becomes an exclusive and single education system, then people cultivated by this system will have an unbalanced development. That is really not enough, because the technology system by itself lacks modern knowledge, knowledge about social division, social mobility, and other life demands. After this, we'll take a look at an emerging intercity mode of transport in China. My first visit to China was in 1985, and at that time you had very few cars. If you would have said at that time how many cars would be flying,、uh, driving around China today, you wouldn't have believed it. The same will happen here. This is the first plane which will be affordable for the average person. Already now, it costs about the same money like a nice car costs. So it is really affordable. Stay tuned. In recent years, there has been a resurgence of traditional Chinese learning and culture promoted by some scholars, parents, government, and non-government organizations. Since China has been striving for modernity over the past few decades, this comeback of traditional Chinese learning at schools and on a larger societal level claims to rediscover the country's cultural roots and help achieve the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. In just the past couple of years, many public schools have incorporated guoshue or sinology courses into their curricula. Private funds have established special sinology academies, enrolling preschool and school-age children, and some top universities even offer special guoshue courses for newly rich businessmen, charging them a handsome fee. Proponents of this fervor for guoshue claim that traditional Chinese culture is better at nurturing the nation's younger generation by emphasizing a so-called moral education. But opponents have pointed out some problems of that fervor, as it leads to the emergence of some so-called masters of guoshue and learning institutes, which misleads their disciples while seeking unfair profits from them. The critics of the guoshue fervor remind its advocates that the vast and complex traditional Chinese learning and culture are also a source of negative and outdated social norms, ways of thinking, and lifestyle. They contend that while some aspects of the tradition are compatible with a modern, progressive, and open society, many other aspects may be harmful and belong to the backward, bygone ages. But how did this guoshue fervor come into being and play out? Yan Yong takes a closer look. 
with the sound of a tolling bell. Teachers and students wearing traditional Chinese garments begin an annual ritual for the birthday of their spiritual tutor, Confucius. Crossing their palms in a respectful gesture, attendants at the ceremony place fruit baskets in front of the memorial tablet of Confucius, the fifth-century BC philosopher in ancient China. Confucius and the social disciplines he founded have had a dominant influence upon Chinese culture and people's lives since the second century BC, when the Han Dynasty elevated Confucianism as a state-approved philosophy and learning. In today's China, it might seem unusual to see people performing Confucian salutation like the ancient scholars once did, but this philosopher's way of teaching is making a comeback. In modern China, Sihai Confucius Academy is a full-time school where students receive systematic training in Sinology and Confucian teachings. Sinology includes traditional Chinese history, language, and literature in a narrow sense. Instead of learning colloquial Chinese, students here read, recite, and digest traditional Chinese books, which emphasize benevolence, sincerity, and other personal and social moralities. Zhang Aichen is a ten-year-old student at Beijing Sihai Confucius Academy. I prefer studying here. My teacher shares Confucius stories with us in class. It is really fun. In this full-time Confucius Academy, students also learn archery, traditional musical instruments, and other Confucian skills. Twelve-year-old Zhang Shijia has been studying here since she was nearly six. The threshold age for enrollment into public primary schools. For her, archery means much more than keeping her concentration. We need to bow lots of times before we shoot. I think this class can make us realize that we need respect, and I have learned to respect the bow and arrow. As well as the traditional classes, the Confucius Academy also provides math and English lessons. However, the students admit that their progress in math is slower than that in public primary schools. One ten-year-old student says she's studying first-grade math, which is three years behind the studies of her peers. But the school claims that sinology education does not mean an unbalanced education. Feng Zhe, the principal of the full-time Confucius Academy, says that sinology education needs to be understood as a whole. Sinology education not only makes a rich and a deep spiritual worlds; it can also improve Chinese people's abilities to solve problems in their real lives, because sinology includes courtesy, music, archery, calligraphy, mathematics, and also classical Chinese philosophy. It is a complete knowledge system. Feng also says his goal is to cultivate modern talents with noble characters. Feng's opinions have been echoed by some educators and urban middle-class parents, who have a nostalgic and idealized view of traditional Chinese learning and culture. This social sentiment has led to the establishment of an increasing number of sinology-themed private schools and courses for school-age boys and girls.
So far in Beijing, at least 50 public primary and middle schools have included guoshui classes in their curricula, and several private guoshui schools, including Sihai Confucius Academy, have become popular among some parents too. The Chenxian Guoshui Institute in Guozijian, another such school in Beijing, aims to expand children's exposure to traditional culture through introductions to Confucianism, Chinese calligraphy, and other traditional values. The institute teaches students aged mostly between four and ten. It's inside the Guozijian compound in central Beijing, China's highest educational institute until the late 19th century. Its director Ji Jiejing says, "Traditional Chinese culture should not lose its grip on young Chinese people, as it is good for their moral development and the cultivation of the character. Some wisdom delivered through the Chinese classics might help children deal with the challenges in their own lives." Like most other guoshui schools, Ji Jiejing's institute requires children to recite ancient Chinese classics, such as Di Zi Gui and San Zi Jing. The 300-year-old Di Zi Gui means disciples' rules in English, while San Zi Jing, with a history of 700 years, can be translated into three-character classic. Together, they lay out strict standards for being a good child and student in the Confucian sense, as well as attaining basic Chinese historical knowledge. One excerpt from the Di Zigui goes: Older siblings should befriend younger ones. Younger siblings should respect and love older ones. Siblings who keep harmonious relationships among themselves are being dutiful to their parents. Most of the little boys and girls reciting this kind of learning material are the only child in their families with no siblings. Although it's doubtful that such traditional teaching can evoke much resonance in these young hearts, parents say it has contributed to better behavior on the part of their children. Monica Moore, the mother of an eight-year-old girl in Shanghai, feels that she has made the right decision to have a daughter spend this year's summer holiday learning the charms of traditional Chinese culture. The mother says the Confucianist thoughts have taught my daughter to be more polite, self-disciplined, and gentle. This effect explains why a small but growing number of traditional-minded parents have sent their children to such schools. They regard moral education as the top priority for their kids, and are willing to send them to private-owned sinology schools despite the high costs involved. Sihai Confucius Academy in Beijing costs around fifty-nine thousand yuan a year. That's some nine thousand U.S. dollars. And out of the reach of most ordinary residents in the Chinese capital, Diao Shanqing, whose child is learning at the academy, is a firm supporter of this traditional way of education. He believes that children should learn to become good people first, and the skills and knowledge provided in common elementary schools can come later. And now, it's our, uh, traditional education. It's their, uh. 所涉及到的很多的，无论是内容。The compulsory education system, regardless of its content or atmosphere, 
is different from what we want. Meanwhile, the traditional schools, which are not in the compulsory education system, can provide a purified environment, laying a solid moral foundation for children. Diao proudly claims that his six-year-old boy Diao Ziang is better behaved than children in ordinary elementary schools. He attributes this to Sinology education. In addition to some zealous educators and parents, the government itself has also played a part in the current grocery craze. Sinology knowledge has always been included in the compulsory education system, and the government has intensified its effort to promote traditional culture in recent years. Last month, the Ministry of Education issued an updated outline for the 2017 national college entrance examinations, increasing the proportion of traditional Chinese culture in the Chinese exam. Back in April 2014, the ministry issued guidelines on the teaching of traditional Chinese culture from primary school up until college. The guidelines stipulated that more lessons on traditional Chinese culture were to be included in primary and middle school textbooks. In response to this guideline, China's Language and Culture Press, a major publisher of school textbooks, has revised the content of its Chinese language textbooks by raising the proportion of traditional culture from 30% to 50% last year. The new versions of Chinese textbooks are now being used in schools nationwide. This enthusiasm for traditional Chinese culture has also created a growing demand for teachers who can specialize in this area. In light of this situation, some colleges and universities have started special graduate and postgraduate courses in the subject. The Ministry of Education has said that traditional Chinese culture would become an official major in universities from this year. Prestigious higher learning institutes such as Tsinghua University and Peking University have also established research centers that have a Confucianist focus. Wuhan University in Central Hubei Province even offers a PhD degree in Guoxue. The university produced its first doctor of Guoxue in 2012. Now let's take a short break, and then we'll continue with this story to take a look at the debates about the pros and cons of Guoxue revival. Stay tuned. If you have any interesting stories about China to share with us and can speak good English, why not join us in our worldwide broadcast? Don't hesitate to phone us or send us an email at life at cri dot com dot cn. You're listening to Life Up Close now. Yang Yong again explaining to us some criticisms about the revival of traditional Chinese learning and culture. But amid the so-called guoshui fervor, many critics and certain parents are skeptical about the need to add more traditional culture content to textbooks and give children a sinology-themed education. They wonder whether traditional education can fit with modern China's development. Fang Zhaohui, a professor from Tsinghua University, thinks it is good for children to know about ancient philosophy, but he is skeptical about whether full-time sinology education can produce modern talent. 
？呃，我个人认为，就是说，呃，国学教育如果它是一种封闭的，和其他的知识教育、学科教育和包括义务教育。Personally speaking, if psychology education is separated from other knowledge, other subjects, and compulsory education, if it becomes an exclusive and single education system. Then people cultivated by this system, we have an unbalanced development. That is really not enough, because the psychology system by itself lacks modern knowledge, knowledge about social division, social mobility, and other life demands. Many cultural experts point out that there are many different aspects of traditional Chinese culture, be it Confucianism, Taoism. Historical writings, ancient poems, traditional Chinese paintings, and traditional Chinese medicine. They contend that many of these teachings, some of which are really superstitions, are unsuitable for today's society. Generally speaking, traditional Chinese teachings overemphasize personal obedience, often unconditionally, to parents, elders, and government officials. They also reject independent thinking and free speech, which are essential for a creative, dynamic, and modern society. On top of that, many of the Chinese classical literature and philosophy place women in an inferior position, and often encourage a superstitious worship of a living worldly leader. All these and other negative aspects, critics say, must be stamped out before a carefully purified version of traditional Chinese learning and culture can really benefit the modern world's people and society. Raymond Zhou, a commentator with the Beijing-based English-language China Daily newspaper, says it's okay for today's education to include mandatory teaching of a sample of the Guoshui classics. But he notes that some people who have recently been exposed to Guoshui tend to place it on the pedestal upon which even normal criticism and academic analysis is treated as heresy. Joe says this should arouse concern and alarm, as some ill-meaning or misguided people are attempting to revert to the old days when Guoshui was a force of suppression rather than a source of inspiration. Thanks, Yan Yong. Now let's take a short break, and then we'll take a look at how innovators are creating a new mode of transport for China's urban middle-class residents. Stay tuned. If you have any interesting stories about China to share with us and can speak good English, why not join us in our worldwide broadcast? Don't hesitate to phone us or send us an email at life at cri dot com. You're listening to Life Up Close. Digital flight systems, affordable aircraft, and the latest drones are exciting visitors to the China International Aviation and Aerospace Exhibition. It's the gyroplane which experts are predicting will become the preferred mode of transport after cars for China's middle class. A selection of luxury modes of air travel are on display at China's International Aviation and Aerospace Exhibition. In addition to an array of planes from the main manufacturers, new areas of technological innovation and flight experience are drawing attention too. The Aviation Industry Corporation of China, or the AVIC, is presenting a flight simulation of its newly developed MA700, a twin-engine medium-range turboprop airliner, which is due to make its maiden flight next year. 
Through the big screen at the front, visitors seated in the simulated cockpit can experience the mechanics and movement as pilots do. Ian Joseph is a visitor to the air show from Finland. I've only used、uh, simulators at home, my little、uh, flight simulator from Microsoft. But、uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Very, very smooth. Very easy,、uh, and the aircraft does exactly what you expect it to do. AVIC is also displaying an integrated flight operation system, which organizes various applications together to create different user interfaces to meet all kinds of task demands from pilots and ground commanders. Li Xiaodong, product manager of the Flight iDeck system, says it is an open platform for a wide range of aircraft and ground control stations. This platform can encapsulate various task modules and their relevant logics into application programs, just like the relations between the operation system and the applications of a mobile phone. Through different combinations of the applications, we can finish various configurations of the human-computer interface so as to realize the maximum usage of the resources. By providing these types of shareable services with standard inputs and variable interfaces, we are able to attract different suppliers to form various task interfaces so as to offer better services to our pilots or commanders. Apart from overseas aviation giants such as Boeing and Airbus, small but specialist players from other countries are also showing off their ambitions for the China market. Among them is the German gyroplane manufacturer Autogyro, which brings its Cavalon and Clyder series. Since entering the Chinese market five years ago, Autogyro has sold 50 gyroplanes in China. 30 of those were sold this year. Felix Lepi, director of the Asia Pacific of Autogyro. Says the gyroplanes are expected to become the new favorite of the Chinese middle class after cars. My first visit to China was in 1985, and at that time you had very few cars. If you would have said at that time how many cars would be driving around China today, you wouldn't have believed it. The same will happen here. This is the first plane which will be affordable for the average person. Already now, it costs about the same money like a nice car costs, so it is really affordable. This year's China Airshow also puts the spotlight on various Chinese unmanned aerial vehicles or UAV, which will bring intensified competition to the global drone market. Aero Star Loop, a private Chinese UAV company, is presenting its latest product, an unmanned helicopter with a turbine shaft engine. The craft can be loaded with 65 kilograms of weight and fly at a speed of 185 kilometers per hour. It's by far the largest among the turbine shaft unmanned helicopters in the world, according to the manufacturer. Carried on Navy ships, it can be used for military purposes. It can also be used for China's Coast Guard operations. Franklin Tian, CEO of Aerostar Loop, says so far the only competitor in the international market is a UAV company in Switzerland. However, he claims that his products are more up to date in terms of technology. We expect more on the aviation class products because the market for the consumption of electronic drones is already quite saturated with players like DJI performing very well. What we are striving for is the field of aviation industrial products with fuel engines.
This part of the market is on the rise, and the potential is huge. With that, we come to the end of this edition of Life Up Close. Hope you have enjoyed it. For more, please log on to our website of newsplusradio.cn. For our program producer Yin Xiuqi, this is Sam Duckett in Beijing. Bye for now.